is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Season 3, Episode 52, continuing our preview of AESLD's upcoming The Liver Meeting 2022. Plus, from the vault, a conversation from our Liver Meeting 2021 coverage that takes a look at NITs and the role they might play going forward. In this conversation, Louise Campbell starts by agreeing with Stephen Harrison's comment from last week about FibroScan as his sixth essential test and shares her hope that everyone will get one early in their screening processes. She goes on to note that we still are not capturing many patients in poor liver health early enough in the process and states her belief that FIB4, while imperfect, will help us do so. After a couple of additional comments from Mazanuruddin, I turn to Ian Rowe to share some papers he considers important. Ian starts with Abstract 9, entitled Prognostic Value of Non-Invasive Tests in Patients with NAFL, which will be presented at the Saturday morning plenary session. This paper looks at the outcomes for 1,700 patients with various non-invasive tests and demonstrates the value of each in predicting outcomes. The conclusion, Ian notes, is that NITs should be accepted as surrogate tests for clinical trials. He then goes on to discuss Abstract 72, titled Increase in Liver Stiffness Measurement by BCTE is Independently Associated with Poor Clinical Outcomes in NASH, which will be presented by Dr. Samir Goria at Parallel Session 28, Monday afternoon, 2 to 3.30. This study correlates BCTE values with progression to cirrhosis and subsequent clinical events. Ian states his belief that this is the direction in which we should move with all our diagnostics. As the conversation winds down, Mazen Nuruddin endorses both the vision on the study, tracking outcomes from BCTE, and the value of this study in terms of looking at BCTE and outcomes on BCTE and biopsy. He briefly describes other presentations and posters at this meeting that address similar topics, and then describes the FDA's interest in NITs, which is not whether we can predict disease progression, but rather give meaning to improvements in NITs and how these translate into improved outcomes. Our last three episodes of the podcast provide a pretty robust preview of what we are about to hear at the liver meeting starting Friday. Actually, by the time these post, we'll be well into the meeting already. So listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Louise Campbell. I just wanted to jump in because obviously I heard last week's and I thought it was an excellent debate. Yes, you've got an enriched population. I think Stephen followed my line in the fact that is FibroScan something like your sixth essential test, really? Clinical signs and symptoms. And if you got to my world where everybody would be getting their FibroScan as they approach their primary care and therefore they got it, then it makes it a lot easier. We're not there yet. But interestingly enough, there are a couple of sessions looking at primary care screening and how you can make patients and give them the power. You touched on it, Marzen, do you use, and Stephen and the team last week did, do you use the FAST score after the FIB4 in those populations because you've already got the essential bloods required, I suppose, for the FIB4? I think if you've got access to it in a community setting, then use as much as you've got to try and get the right population to the right place. My general feeling of FIB4 is not dissimilar to yours. It's not the best test, but it is better than we've had previously and I think we have to take it back we are still currently missing most people with poor liver health they are still presenting too late so any test even an inaccurate and not the best test ultimately to get people into the system to find their liver disease at an earlier stage for me is a win-win so yes FIB4 is not the best test it will never be the ultimate test I suppose but it is picking up more people that we were missing a year ago or two years ago and as we develop on we will miss less and less and that's the key for me. Mazen Nuruddin. Yeah, let me follow up quickly on that. I do like doing the fast score after the FIB4, the same algorithm, at least for now. The reason
reason why the F3 is targeting F3 population, which in my mind, bit late, could be a bit late. And I would like to find the Nash and F2 and higher. Again, the cost-effective analysis that we based the study or the, the, the AGA cited that what we did, we started with transgenal histography to look for the screening process, and we aimed for the F2s. So it will be already cost-effective if you start with the fast core based on that analysis. And to me also, it will shape the thinking of when the patients get to the hepatologist because likely most of the fibrous scans will be done there and they will know that this is a patient probably is ready for pharmacological therapy at a certain point. I forgot to make my point about PPVs and the PPVs, I want to remind everyone that it's highly dependent on the population. It's very much different in primary care compared to the secondary setting. It, It can change significantly. I'll give you an example here. The MAFEB that had very, 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 very high MAFEB PPV in the publication and it did less and way less in uh, Professor Castera's paper and the other two scores did way better. So again, PPV can change not just the actual accuracy of the test, but also it's based on the population and how enriched they are with the at-risk patients. Ian, if you've got something you'd like to share, why don't you go next? Since you weren't out with us last week also. Ian Rowe. Yeah, thanks, Roger. And I guess I want to move this conversation beyond biopsies. I mean, I guess the whole purpose of using non-invasive tests is that we can eventually get away from using liver biopsy. And some of the conversation we've just had is still with the performance of these tests anchored on biopsies, so the identification of F3 or F4 or maybe even F2. But there are a couple of related presentations, one an oral presentation and the other a poster looking at more details about comparing outcomes of patients according to either biopsy or associated non-invasive tests. So the first of those is presentation number nine, the prognostic value of non-invasive tests in patients with NAFLD, which is individual patient data analysis of just over 1,700 patients, where they've all had liver biopsy, FIP4, NAFLD fibrosis score, and transient elastography. And they present data on outcomes, which I think we would all agree is the most relevant thing, both for the selection of patients for follow-up in secondary care, but also for selection for pharmacological therapy. And they look at the incidence of critical outcomes, so decompensation, the development of HCC, liver-related death, liver transplantation, or MELD score, 15 or greater. And the curves for each of those disease-free survival type analyses looks really very similar, regardless of whether you're stratified by histology, F0, F1, F2, F3, and then F4, or whether it's FIB4, less than 1.3, up to 2.67, or over 2.67, same for transient elastography. And this is really in keeping with a lot of the already published literature on the use of these tests from a prognostic perspective. And I think it gives colour to the conversation we were just having about identification of patients for treatment and indeed follow-up in secondary care. So that's certainly a presentation to watch. And the conclusion of the abstract is, you know, I guess the point that we all get to, these findings support the adoption of, the adoption of non-invasive tests as likely accepted surrogate endpoints in clinical trials. That was much more difficult to say than I was expecting. But I guess that the issue with this presentation, and this is cross-sectional information at baseline, it doesn't involve any progression or ideally response to treatment retarding progression. So with that, I might walk on and talk about the the second abstract, which is abstract number 72, which begins to provide some data on progression. So this comes from the NASH CRN, where they've got longitudinal data, including transient elastography for patients with NASH registered in that large, well-recognized cohort. And what they do in, in that cohort is to watch 
clinical progression over a number of years and categorized patients initially as unlikely to have cirrhosis by transient elastography using traditional type thresholds with elastography values of less than 12 or so. And then looking at the incidence of progression to cirrhosis using a threshold of 15. And much more importantly, I think, progression to clinical events. Now, the number of participants in this registry is relatively small in a global context, 900 patients, but they're extremely well phenotyped. And of those, about 120 or just over 13% progress to cirrhosis. And if you progress to cirrhosis, according to elastography values, then your risk of developing events is significantly increased. Now, I think that this is the sort of direction that we need to go in, in terms of understanding the longitudinal impact of changes in liver stiffness values. There's relatively little in the published literature. There's one study that I'm familiar with coming from one of the Italian groups, which is probably the best well-known of those. But this really is where we've got to get to, and because we continue to collect non-invasive test data, then this is where we'll come to, which is understanding how longitudinal changes impact outcomes, and I think that's all where we want to get to. I can jump into this uh, to support this strongly. I think Ian just hit on the nail that outcomes is the most important probably thing that we should look at with non-invasive testing and to move away from the liver biopsy. And those data are what is the FDA and EMA looking for to design their phase three studies based on liver biopsies. I like the large sample, uh, although as you said, Deanna, it's like 900 patients. The progression to cirrhosis is important. I wonder how valid is that to go to 15? I take it. I think it is valid. And they had a good number there based on that. And I'm sure like the number of events trickle down as you go to like much harder one, like ascites and all this, which again, I want to point out to people that this is a disease in general, so prevalent and with a low outcome, but because, because it's so prevalent, that's what the importance of the looking at these outcomes and, and such a large population. We also actually, not to advertise for what we were doing, we had a big focus on outcomes in this, in this meeting. And we do have an oral on the Agile 3 and Agile 4 from 700 patients that we're going to present, I think, Monday morning or Monday afternoon that we looked at outcomes using Agile 3 and Agile 4. And we had 700 patients, but unfortunately, we did not have as many events where they were in the 20s, if I remember correctly. I need to go back and look. And this is the nature of a single center and the NASH in, in general. But the CSTAT were super high. And we had one on mass score that the population was much smaller, but also it predicted outcomes very well. So I echo Ian's and I think we really need to look at how outcomes change and particularly longitudinally. And I would like also to start seeing which the, the FDA wants to see the other way around, not worsening, lead to worsening, but rather improvement and how much improvement because they're going to ask and I'm sorry to put this analogy this is the first thing come in mind what is two drops in two locks drop in viral load lead to or having RVR again I'm sorry I don't mean to cause flashbacks but this is first come to mind they gave this HIV example for NITs in NAFLD and I would like to, to understand how many KPAs on MRE or fiber scan I need to factor in in my primary outcome eventually in phase three study is it two is it three and should i combine it with alt and we can open that conversation forever okay so just before we go on with the conversation a couple of uh, codas on ian the first talk that ian described number nine that's part of the same presidential plenary session on sunday morning as daniel hang's presentation that you talked about last week and the second paper number 72 is part of session 28 which is i think from 2 to 3 30 on monday afternoon if memory serves me 
correctly. And now back to Roger. We hope you enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back Monday and Tuesday afternoons Eastern U.S. time with daily review episodes, Monday for the weekend and Tuesday for Monday at the Liver Meeting. And we will have a summary of key points from those two episodes on Wednesday evening. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We look forward to seeing you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now.